Yo, Albert Tate Podcast Season 1 and a half. It's the remix season. It was time for me to fire myself. Nobody understands what I've had to endure to get and achieve what I've done. Don't feel embarrassed about your call. I feel like we're at this threshold of opportunity. Yo, thanks for tuning in. This is the Albert Tate Podcast. Listen, season one remix as I'm recapping some of the great conversations that I had in season one. Uh, If you hadn't checked it out, please go back, listen to season one. I'm telling you, uh, just some amazing, inspiring conversations as we talk about different moments that shaped us. I'll never forget having Terrell Owens, uh, T.O. in the office, and he came by, and we had a great conversation. Um, He was in the process of being inducted in the Hall of Fame. Uh, He's had an amazing career, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. But what we talked about uh, will surprise you. What fueled him, we realized during the interview, was not his greatest moments of success, but it was actually a deep disappointment that shaped his life. The first 30 seconds of the interview, we get right into it. You don't want to miss it, but he says it. And to be honest, I never recover from the first minute of the interview. He says it, and I'm spending the rest of the time trying to recover from the reality of what he talks about. He, um, he wanted to date the girl who was in his neighborhood, who was the cute girl. Um, and he was getting ready to make his move on. He's probably 12 years old, and he's got a crush on her. And um, he wants to start talking to her, and a rumor gets out that Terrell likes this girl. And the girl's dad comes and talks to Terrell, pulls him to the side, a 12-year-old boy, and says, you cannot date her. And he was like, why not? Why can't I date her? Why can't I date her? And then he looks at her and said, because she's your sister. Well, it turns out Terrell had spent most of his life living across the street from his neighbor, who was actually his dad, but had no idea. And that crushed him. You want to talk about disappointment. He realized not the fact that he had this crush on this girl and he couldn't date her, but that's my dad. His mother had had an affair. They didn't want anybody to know about it. He was married. It was just ugly disappointment that ended up marking Terrell. All of his life, he had to work really, really hard to get people to notice him, to get people to see him, because his own dad lived across the street and pretty much ignored him. I'm sitting there listening to Terrell talk about this, and I'm thinking, everybody's got all these opinions about this guy. Everybody's talking about how he shows up and got all these thoughts. But this guy was responding and reacting to disappointment his whole life. And it shaped him and honestly empowered him. It had me thinking about my own life. And to be honest, it's the power of disappointment. It's the power of failure. It's the power of when things go wrong, how God has a way of using those things to shape your future. I know that sounds crazy, but listen, let me just tell you, can we just talk for a few seconds about Peter in the Bible? Um, I, I, I went to Israel and there's this space where they believe Peter was when Jesus was on the beach cooking fish and Peter had gone fishing. Well, Peter had gone fishing after a long journey of following Jesus. But remember that night 
when Jesus was being prepared to be crucified, and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was like, oh, no, I never deny you. I'm riding to die. I'm forever, forever, ever, forever, ever, forever, ever. I'm forever, Jesus. Jesus was like, yeah, no, nah, that was cute. But nope, just in a few minutes, you're going to betray me. And he does. Can we just talk for 30 seconds about the failure? What that must have felt like? Jesus is your boy and you fail him miserably and publicly, he denies him. Peter was so miserable. That's why we find him in the boat. See, he was originally a fisherman before he was doing this discipleship gig. And he's in the boat and he's back to his old ways. He's back fishing again. And Jesus, after his resurrection, is on the shore cooking fish and calls Peter from the shore. And he calls him back and he tells him, it's all good, Peter. Feed my sheep. I love you. Peter's, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love you, I love you. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. I'm telling you, after a couple of days, Peter is there at the day of Pentecost. The spirit falls. Everybody's trying to figure out what to do. And Peter, out of everybody, you all talk about, he just failed miserably. Like he just got out of prison, just got out of timeout, just got out of, you know, like just should be the last one to speak. He should be like, yo, last time I talked, I failed Jesus three times, the cock crowed and everything. I ain't saying nothing. The main one, day of Pentecost, he grabs the mic and so, <clears throat> let me tell y'all what's happening. I'm telling you that speech was fueled by his failure. I'm telling you his failure, his lowest moment fueled his greatest moment. Because when you're in that great moment, you remember the grace of God that pulled you from the depths of the lowest place and you have a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for who God is and what he's done and the fact that he would use a wretch like you and it fuels you in your greatest moments. I wanna take a few moments today in this podcast to encourage you and give you these words of encouragement. I hope you fail. I heard an old preacher preach that sermon before and it stuck with me. And today I wanna pass it on to you. I hope you fail. I'll never forget it. It was a summer night. It was in the middle of June. It would be the hardest night of my life. This would be the night when my mother would demand to see my report card. After months and months of delay and lie, she said, bring me your report card right now. This was a critical moment because throughout the previous 18 months, I had been lying about my grades. I remember failing my English class for the first time and not fathom, I couldn't fathom showing my mother an F on my report card. So I changed the F. I got a little pencil and instead of an F, I drew a line down and I made it an A. Gave myself an A. I showed it to my mom and she was congratulatory and we moved on. After that, I got good at it. I got good at forging report cards. I got good at lying about my progress, and all the while in class, continually to spiral downward. See, the reality is, academics didn't come naturally to me. I had to work hard for it, and when I worked hard, I would still fail. So before I got labeled as a dummy, I said I'd rather be called lazy than dumb any day. I just stopped trying. 
Because I'd rather be called lazy by my teacher than dumb by my friends. So after flunking so many algebra tests, I just stopped trying. Then I started skipping school. So all of my best friends are growing up, they're passing, going to the next grade, and I'm literally flunking out, skipping school, until the summer of what should have been before my senior year, my mother demanded to see my report card, and I, at that point, I had lied as much as I could. I was going into what should have been my senior year, but according to my credits, I was probably a 10th grader at best. I couldn't lie anymore. I was hiding it, nobody knew it. My best friends didn't know it. It was this personal secret that I carried for years. My stomach would hurt. Whenever my mom would mention going to a PTA meeting or something, I'd have anxiety. I was living in fear for so long. So I said, this is it. I'll never forget walking down the hallway, walked in my mom's room. And with tears in my eyes, I just told her, Mom, I've been skipping school. I've been smoking weed with my friends. And next year, I won't graduate. That was a thing. My two older sisters had graduated. We would throw a big party every year at graduation time. There was a big barbecue at our house. And all the friends, all the family, people would come from out of town. It was a big thing. My mother cried, and I saw the look of disappointment in her and my dad's eyes. But that night, oddly enough, when I went to bed, amidst all the tears and the disappointment, I actually felt better because I had been holding something in for so long. It felt great to get it out. But the next year would still be very painful. Satan would begin a narrative in a tape recorder in my head that would play for decades to come. Albert, you're dumb. Albert, you're stupid. Albert, you're not smart. You're not intellectual. You can't do academics. You're just the funny guy but you have no substance, you're empty. And I believed it. So although the truth was out, the shame was in. And I wore shame like a pair of skinny jeans. Uh, they were tight. Uh, <laughs> I um, went through the summer not telling any of my friends, because no one knew the secret, but the first day of school, the waves of shame would come. First day of school, my friends find out I'm not coming back. They call me, Albert, what happened? Why aren't you at school today? Man, I'm having to go to another school. I went to this private school to try to get my credits back up. But slowly just giving them bits and pieces, I flunked a class and then it started with me going to another school. Then the next wave was, well, Albert, are you gonna graduate? You're not graduating? My friend's graduation, I'll never forget. I couldn't bring myself to go inside the building. I sat in the parking lot cried. The guilt and shame just marked me. All while, honestly, I'm having spiritual renewal in my personal life. Like, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've said yes to him. I've invited him in, but I'm still carrying this shame and this secret of my failure. I, um, I go to junior college, but I go to junior college in a trade program, so I'm learning carpentry. And if you know anything about me personally, that should be hilarious to you uh, because I can't even change the light bulbs at my house. Uh, but I'm taking this carpentry class. Um, 
but I'm doing ministry on the weekends and I'm starting to speak. And the Lord just begins to convict me with this area of my life. He says, Albert, you got to get your GED. You've got to finish this area, this, this place. And it was just marked by failure and shame. I would just, I would be so embarrassed about the fact that I did not graduate from high school. I flunked out of high school and I ended up going to junior college and in this trade program, taking carpentry. I was so, so ashamed and so embarrassed. It would become the lowest moment of my life and the biggest kept secret about me. So the big thing was I had to take my GED. And every time I would try to go and muster up the courage to actually go and do it, the enemy would just get the best of me. One time I looked up this program, I was like, Dang it, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take my GED. I'm gonna go get this done. This will not be a stronghold in my life. I walk in and I go to this place in the city and I walk in the classroom and the teacher looks at me. Now mind you, this is the biggest shame, embarrassing thing that I carry. I walk in the classroom, the teacher looks at me and says, Albert Tate, what are you doing in here? I know you from the church. I see you at the church. And I'm so embarrassed. And then she says this, she says, what are you doing now? I know you ain't here to get your GED. Boy, how's it going? So I made up some excuses. I said, no, I'm looking for my cousin. And I walk out because this lady knows me. She knows the public persona. Well, she doesn't know the internal shame and failure that I wear. <sighs> Another time I muster up enough courage to go and take it. And these were like, these are, this is me in my prayer closet saying, okay, God, I'm gonna go do it. I'm gonna go face the guilt and the shame. I walk in and the room is filled with prison inmates. This particular time, I guess they had some kind of partnership with the local prison where the prisoners that were getting their GED. So I walk in and literally there are green and white stripes in every seat. And the only person in the room who's not a prisoner was going to be me taking them a GED. I looked in that room, I said, oh, heck no. I didn't, I didn't say heck. I, I said, and I can't, I walked out of there with my head hung lower than ever before. Finally, by this time, I've preached my first sermon. I'm preaching. I am, ministry is taking off. God's doing these amazing things, but I got this Achilles heel, this place of failure just shaping me. So my best moments are still marked by my worst secret. Ooh, that was good. Let me say that again. My best moments are still marked by my worst kept secret. I finally walk in, the counselor at this school I was attending. She was a friend, she was a Christian. She knew my life and she had seen me doing great things and she just, she was an amazing woman. I walk in her office and I just confess with tears in my eyes. I just tell her, I've been lying all this time. I haven't got my GED, but God is doing all this stuff in my life and I just, and I just wanna get it. I just wanna, she looked at me, she gave me a clinic. She said, wipe those tears from your face. She says, you are doing too much good and you are too effective for you to allow something like this to hold you back. Don't you worry about being embarrassed. I'm gonna give you the test myself. You're gonna come in my office, I'm gonna close this door, and nobody will know why you're in here, and you're gonna take that test, and you're gonna pass it, because God wants to use you to do great things. I never forget being in her office. I took it, and I turned it in, and I looked at her with shame still, because now the shame wasn't that I hadn't done it. Now the shame was, why did it take me so long to do it? 
And then she looked at me, I'll never forget it. She says, don't you, God knew when and how you needed to get it done. The timing was always in his hands. I'll never forget being in my apartment, Colony Park, 2208 in Pearl, Mississippi. I went to the mail, opened up this big envelope, and in this pink paper, congratulations, you passed your GED. Years of strongholds and lies, shame and guilt broke that day. That was probably almost 20 years ago. A couple of months ago, I got invited to be the commencement speaker at Azusa Pacific University, where I sit on their board Oversees a seminary, a business school, a nursing program, undergraduate program, and I was the commencement speaker. I immediately went back to that parking lot where I was crying, watching my friends walk in with their cap and gown. And as they put on the regalia, that's what they call it in the academic world, the regalia, yeah. As they put on the robe and as I put on the hat, and they put the little shawl over my neck, I couldn't help but think about the lies that I believed all those years. Albert, you're not smart. You're not intelligent. And in that moment, when I stood before thousands of students and parents to give a commencement address, you better believe I was fueled by my greatest failure. That failure has been fueling me ever since. My greatest moments my greatest successes, I always go back to my greatest failure and I say, thank you, Jesus. Because of that failure, I got a drive and a grit and a tenacity to fight for God's best for my life. Because of that failure, I got a front row seat at how God can take a wretch, can take your worst and turn it into your best. I got a front row seat of understanding the grace of God because I'm thinking always, if God can bring me from that failure, who knows what else he can do in my life? So I guess I'm saying all that to say, I hope you fail. I hope that there's disappointment and failure in your life that breaks you down so low, that breaks you down so hard that you have no other choice but to desperately depend upon God. I hope you fail. I hope you fail in a way that you know that you don't have the power to control your life, to run your life, to lead your life. I hope you fail so miserably that you conclude that my life in my hands is an absolute wreck and wretch. I hope you fail. I hope everything falls to pieces so bad that you will never ever assume that you are big enough, bold enough, God enough to control your life. I hope you fail in a way that makes it undeniably true that you need a God. You need a God who can bring you up from the ashes, who can take broken pieces and make something beautiful. I, I just don't know how you learn that without the beauty of failure. If Peter was here, he'd say, listen, it was painful, but I hope you fail. Because because of that failure and what I said that day, that fueled what I said on Pentecost, that great moment. I hope you know failure in a way that brings about the beauty of the grace of God, 
the redemption of God, the love of God. Can I tell you, I know God loves me because I've given him every reason not to, but he still does. I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I've tried to do all things through me who strengthens me and I fail miserably, so I know the power of Christ. Because of failure, I know the grace of God. Because if he can give me a new beginning and he can start me over, I know he can give you a new beginning and he can start you over. I know what it's like to believe lies about yourself for many, many years and to have the truth of God hit you like a ton of bricks. I hope that you know failure enough to know that those lies are just that lies. And I hope that you get in a place that's so dark that when the piercing light of God comes through, it'll be undeniable. You won't be talking about, I think that might've been God. I wonder if that was God. No, you'll be like, oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that was God because it was so dark. And I know the true light when I see it. This is, I know, I know. This is probably the most depressing podcast you've ever listened to in your life because I'm sitting here in the mantra is I hope you fail, but I hope you hear what I'm calling you to. It's a life of dependency, a life of expectation on God and God alone. And that kind of expectation and that kind of dependency only comes through the failure of all that you have to bring to the table. One, one, one writer says it like this, it's the idea of coming to the end of yourself so that you can come to the beginning of what God has for you. Terrell Owens will go on to mark the Hall of Fame. And I don't know, I didn't ask him this, but I'd imagine sometime during that week of the Hall of Fame, he thought about all the failures, all the disappointments, and all the reasons why he should not have been there all the people who thought that he shouldn't be there. And that fueled him to stand in that moment of greatness and to receive that honor. Your greatest moments will be fueled by your lowest moments. Friends, I hope you fail. And through your failure, I hope you find the fulfillment of God's purpose in your life. Stadia is a church planning organization whose vision is to see a world where every child has a church. Though our vision is God-sized, our mission is simple, to plant churches that intentionally care for children. Called and affirmed leaders who plant with Stadia are demonstrating what it means to plant churches that don't simply survive, but thrive. 90% of U.S. churches planted by Stadia are still engaged in their mission on their fifth birthday. And globally, more than 40,000 children have been sponsored as a result of U.S. churches partnering with our high-impact, like-minded partners. But we won't stop until every child has a church. There are more children needing churches right now than ever before. 8,600 new churches need to be planted every year in the United States alone in order to keep up with population growth. That translates to tens of thousands of churches globally. But we don't need only more churches, we need better churches. 
In the U.S., 3,700 churches close their doors every single year. And globally, many obstacles get in the way of the long-term success of churches. Stadia is committed to meeting the needs of children around the world by planting more and better churches. In the U.S., we now share our portfolio of services with open-handed generosity. Providing services with no strings attached to planters, organizations, denominations, and networks so that more churches can be planted than ever before. We pray that our generosity may spur others to invest in church planting, both in the U.S. and around the world. We're honored to be a part of the church planting journey, and we anxiously look forward to seeing how God will work to transform the landscape of communities in the United States and around the globe. And we promise we won't stop until every child has a church. If you want to learn more, go to stadiachurchplanning.org.